Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Join us September 25th, 26th, and 27th for a three-day special streaming event. Strange Realities. To push the limits of your reality. Featuring authors, academics, researchers, occultists, experiencers, podcasters, and practitioners. All presenting fresh cutting-edge material and research. Streaming live. Featuring presentations by Brent Reigns. Editor of Alternate Perceptions Magazine. Aaron Gullius. Host of the Saucer Life Podcast. David Metcalf. Writer and researcher. Alan Greenfield. Author of Secret Cipher of the Euphonauts. Stephanie Quick. Writer and blogger. Red Pill Junkie. 14. Researcher and explorer. Tim Banal. Host of Banal of America. Guy Malone, iconoclast and troublemaker. Timothy Ritter, host of Strange Familiars. Kiki Dombrowski, author and practitioner. Greg Bishop, author of Project Beta. Ginny Ashford, host of 13 O'Clock. Recluse, host of The Farm. Jack Montgomery, folk magic. Joshua Cutchin, author of Thieves in the Night. Reverend Michael Carter, alien contact experiencer. Dr. Future, host of Future Quake. Tony Kale, author of Memphis Hoodoo. Rin Collier, occultist. Soraya Ascap, host of Where Did the Road Go? John Tinney, Ghost Stalkers and Hell. All three days, only $20. Tickets and info available at strangerealitiesconference.com. Brought to you by the Conspiranormal Podcast. Conspiranormal.com. Strange realities. Um, okay, well, we're ready to get started. Uh, welcome back to Conspiranormal, guys. It's episode 320, 25. <laughs> I'm losing well, count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as absolutely. things as things get uh, as things get going, but uh, we've got another kind of like uh, roundtable tonight uh, discussion, and uh, was originally going to have uh, Brent Rains on by himself, but Brent uh, pulled in uh, someone else uh, to to talk with us that hasn't been on the show, and that's uh, Robert Davis. And I want to give kind of a uh, Brent, you sent me something here to, to kind of introduce you guys, mm-hmm. and uh, then I'll, I'll read these and I'll uh, bring uh, you and Robert on. Um, so, first about Robert. Robert Davis is an internationally recognized scientist in his field and has served as a professor at the State University of New York for over 30 years. Bob graduated with a BA and MA from the City University of New York and with a PhD in sensory neuroscience from the Ohio State University. He has published over 60 articles in scholarly journals, lectured at national and international conferences, and was awarded several major grants by the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health to fund research in the neurosciences. After retiring from his role as professor and researcher, he wrote three books, The UFO Phenomenon, entitled The UFO Phenomenon, Should I Believe?, Life After Death, An Analysis of the, ev- of the Evidence, and most recently, Unseen Forces, The Integration of Science, Reality, and You. Bob has published articles and lectured on these topics at national and international conferences. His website is bobdavisspeaks.com. And uh, Mr. Brent Rains. Brent Rains became interested in the UFO phenomenon early in 1967 at age 14. 
soon after reading Flying Saucer's Serious Business by the late Frank Edwards. Initially, he was a quote-unquote nuts-and-bolts E.T. advocate, though soon the writings of researchers like John Keel, Jacques Vallée, and Brad Steiger caused young Reigns to cast a much wider net that included much under the broad umbrella of the paranormal. Since 1985, Reigns has edited Alternate Perceptions magazine, and he's written three books, Visitors from Hidden Realms, On the Edge of Reality, and John A. Kuehl, The Man, The Myths, and The Ongoing Mysteries, which we interviewed you about last year. Yep. And Brent, uh, if anyone was at the Strange Realities Conference, Brent was there selling books in the back, and he was also part of our Q&A session. So, Robert, Brent, welcome. Well, Robert, welcome to Conspiracy Normal, and Brent, welcome back. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure to be with you guys. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Absolute pleasure to have you guys on, too. Um, So I want to start with you, you, Robert. Um, I did read kind of like your background, uh, professional background, but I kind of want to get an idea of how you became interested in like these particular subjects, all this kind of weird stuff that we like to talk about. Well, I asked myself the same question as as of, does my wife, and we we can't come up with an answer. So I I, <laughs> I, I just scratch my head. It's a you know it's a combination of innate, a combination of watching uh, Star Trek as a kid, uh, and then uh, having some uh, personal experiences with the orange jobs in, in the night sky in Sedona, Arizona, about seven eight years ago. That uh, that motivated me to write that first book, the UFO phenomenon. Uh, something about it. Uh, it it's a, you know, I think we all have that, that sense of knowingness that there's something there. We don't know what it is. Can't put our foot on it. We interact with it. It interacts with us. <laughs> Some of us may be successful. And I never had that kind of a direct experience, but I did have a, a Kundalini experience, as, as uh, Brent well knows which was uh, earth earth shaking in many ways, but enlightening in other ways, you know, kind of like reinforming me that there is something significantly more going on that does involve consciousness, very possibly an alternate reality, uh, something far greater than, than this. Um, what that is, is, it, is, the, is the enigma, of course, but you, but you guys, and not only you, you know, people unique to you, uh, those in your field uh, and, and our field in general, we, we're striving to figure this out. And we all come at it, obviously, from different angles, but you collectively put it together. I, I can't help get off. And I told Brett Lent last time, Brent, I'm done with this. You know, I'm hanging it up. Last book, last interview, and here I am with you guys. You know? <laughs> how many times you hear that, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> you know. And those insights are, are from a person with the background in, in neuroscience. You're not your usual new agey uh, type. You have this extremely scientific background, and you view all this phenomenon in light of where it intersects with neuroscience. I, I try to, but it's it's hard to form any form any conclusions, which is the frustrating aspect to this. You know, more questions than answers, of course. And you have to live in that environment, especially when you can't apply the scientific method the way you want to to right. analyze all this that's going on. So there's a, such a mismatch there, and and that's so frustrating. It really is. So uh, I'm retired, you know. So I, I can I can bullshit about this. I can open up, uh, come out the closet, so to speak. You know. Yeah, uh, and and there is indeed hesitancy 
um, I really do feel defensive. Less so now after I've done many shows and, and talked more about it. I feel more open. So, so I, I, for instance, I never talked about my Kundalini experience, if you want to call it that. But I do ha- did have all the symptoms of it. Uh, I wouldn't reveal that. That's the point. I've, I've in the last, you know, I don't know, six months or so, I've began talking, discussing my personal agenda uh, yeah. as, 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 as to why I guess I'm also more intently involved with this, and, which led to my involvement with Brent and Free doing some research on, on thousands of experiences, which Brent was, was a, a vital part of. Um, so, uh, you know, many people, certainly our experiences, all walks of life and we know this but they they have intent interest they listen to your shows they read all these books they, they're not gonna they're not gonna open up their mouth for obvious reasons some do we know that but few and far between um so yeah you know you get a little bit more courage when you could speak out without fear of retribution certainly but yeah you do look over your shoulder and you and you do wonder what people think and of course some people who know think you're weird of course of course, but you know today's science fiction is tomorrow's science fact mm-hmm. kind of thing, and much right. of the stuff we talk about is bullshit. A lot of it is fact. We do touch upon future truth. We do, but you don't know exactly where it is. But we know we do get there. We can't put our finger on it, but we smell it. We we think about it. We we we, we we're limited by our knowledge, but but we do. We know it's there and we sense it, but we can't answer it. So we uh, we, we talk sense and nonsense, me included. Uh, I'm, I'm brilliant at times, and I'm the biggest bullshitter at times, you know, about this. You can't – the point is this. You, you can't speak with intense ego like I have the answer. I'm tired of hearing that from so many people. I, don't, <laughs> I never want to come across like that. And maybe yeah. I do because I kind of – I've lectured my whole life. So I come across like I'm, you know, lecturing in a way, you know, formal. That's, that's me. That's the way I bullshit. Uh, uh, so uh, I don't have the answers. Nobody does. And you're right. Sometimes you do think you'd have the answers. I remember times I say, it's the trickster. My my dear friend, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, you guys know her. Uh, she mm-hmm. published my last book, Unseen Forces, uh, yeah, Integration of Science, Reality, and You. Brent, of course, knows her very well. We worked with her. Dear person contributes so much to the field and so many i mean nobody can duplicate her uh, ingenuity sure. creativity and production I, I totally you're crazy get a life 60 plus books uh, yeah, but she she you, was amazing she was one of the she was really one of the first people that i ever really started listening to back in the day uh br- brilliant um uh, I, I but then she had a heart, and my gosh, I miss her so. I never thought I'd miss her so much as I do. I, I we had a strong connection. I think most people who do know her have that strong connection. There, there was something different about her. Yeah, I mean, other than wearing black all the time, you know, get off it, Rosemary. What is this bullshit? <laughs> black, you know, you know what I mean. Uh, you can kid with her, and we'd spend some time in Australia with a wonderful husband, um, uh, who uh, she only knew for a couple of years, so, but she had happy her happy last years. Um, but she was in the same field as you guys and Brent, not me. I come from academia. Last last five six years, Brent knows I got involved with the free. 
uh, Brent and I did a lot of work together uh, analyzing qualitative statements from people who claim to be experiences with UFO phenomenon. But, you know, we maybe have been looking at two different phenomenons, the nuts and bolts, physical phenomenon, but then not, uh, non-human intelligences or entities of another phenomenon or many different phenomena. Most of the people who claim to have interacted with non-human entities of all types, mainly greys, short, tall, human looking being the most common, but of all types and sizes, you know, you know a wide spectrum. They, um, <clears throat> uh, uh, <clears throat> I forget, I, I, I forgot my point. Uh, what was I saying? Anyway, well, uh, 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 yeah, they said their interactions with these beings was from a non-physical perspective, not actually being taken physically and relocated to another location, like on board a ship or elsewhere. About, I brand how many, what percent, uh, 10, 15 percent may say they were taken on board. 10 percent or so did say they had sexual interactions of some type and involved with hybrid babies. But to a much lesser extent that's, than, than is usually uh, proclaimed by those who do research in that field, Bud Hopkins, etc., via hypnotic regressions. N- not very, not a very accurate technique, nevertheless. So we did get some uh, compelling information about not only the kinds of interactions that take place in terms of physical and non-physical interactions, meaning mainly telepathic in nature, or the, one's consciousness being abducted as opposed to the physical body. Uh, people claim, as you well know, these wild claims of being floating in space, going to different places in space, interacting with beings of various type and receiving messages. You know, we can go on and on talking about this in such an intricate detail. Uh, I don't know if your audience would be bored of it or not, but we can spend never-ending hours discussing it, Brent being the one who can more than anybody. And it's like a, it's a source of entertainment. We just kick, we kick around stories of events, anecdotal evidence, things that people experience either via hypnotic regression or through freeze research with over 3,200 individuals who claim to have conscious recall claim and we take their word for it, conscious recall over their interaction with other beings well <clears throat> so it's a limitation but of the 3200 a good percentage did indeed have conscious uh, recall as opposed to hypnagogic or sleep transition recall or a, a lucid dream recall or some other type of recall uh, like on the dmt the point is a non uh, an altered state of consciousness we tried not to exclude those kinds of states although sometimes those states may very well be insightful like the dmt state where people claim to interact in fact that's what led to my interview with brent on his podcast <clears throat> on alternate perception online magazine magazine for the best thing going out there for people to view and learn from as a resource for information in our field well let's talk uh, about free let's i mean i want to i want to get to kind of like the details of this study a little bit because um i know i've heard of, I, i've heard about it i knew that it was going on uh for quite some time i think it concluded in 2018 but uh in, in either one of you to feel free to like you know um you know to to hop in on this but you know what was free what did it what did those acro- that acronym stand for you know who was being studied what were some of the results that were being studied? Okay, well, I'll, I'll uh, 
course, it's, it stands for the uh, Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Encounters. Mm-hmm. And uh, it really was the, in the beginning, it was uh, Ray Hernandez, who uh, at the time lived in Miami, Florida. I'm not sure he was planning to move to New York recently. I'm not sure if he's made that transition yet. But he um, had some experiences back in 2004, he claimed, and uh, it was a series of experiences with non-human intelligence. And uh, to his wife, these were religious experiences. To him, this was, uh, he began to feel it was extraterrestrial. Um, and uh, ultimately, he got in touch, uh, sent out trying to find someone he could communicate with about what was happening because it was quite, uh, quite disturbing to him. And he ended up, this researcher down in Australia, uh, Mary Rodwell, and uh, she put him in touch with Edgar Mitchell, the astronaut, the sixth man to walk on the moon uh, back in 1971, who was very interested in, in, in UFOs and the paranormal. And he made a number of visits to his home there in Florida. And uh, he put him in touch with um, uh, Rudolf uh, Shield, um, who is a astrophysicist who's also very interested in UFOs. So between the four of them, I understand, they ended up creating the free organization and uh, Edgar Mitchell and uh, Rudolf Shield and Mary Rodwell said they would help him. And he pulled in a lot of people with uh, scientific backgrounds like, like Bob here and got them involved in helping to uh, analyze all of this data. He put out notices like crazy that he wanted people's uh, response to the, the surveys, um, which was uh, one that was, uh, like over 600 uh, questions, uh, yes, no type answers, and then there was the there was the, that was the quantitative, and then there was the qualitative, which I think was a little less than uh, 100 questions, where you had to go into some real detail. And um, quite quite quickly, on you know uh, these reports came in from all over the globe, and uh, I know when when I came on board. Um, I was asked along with other members, uh, of course, uh, Barbara Mango was one and uh, mm-hmm. Chris Bob, and they wanted to uh, wanted us to just kind of pick and choose some of the best cases. We'd all got like 200 to look at. And uh, these were all part of a survey monkey questionnaire. And uh, so we went through the data, made suggestions. Uh, John Klimo, a psychologist out in uh, California who has studied all kinds of paranormal material and channeling and written books on channeling and I think reincarnation and such. And uh, he was uh, a big part of that uh, going through that data. And it was all put together um, for the book Beyond UFOs that was published, uh, I think 2018 now. Um, but anyway, um, Bob, is there anything you want, <laughs> you want to add to that? Uh, yeah, that's a, a, a wonderful overview. Um, and uh, Ray was a motivating factor for getting this questionnaire off the ground. It was largely adapted from Dr. Kenneth Ring, who utilized that questionnaire in, in a study he did with non-near-death experiences and individuals who claimed to have been abducted. 
And those those questions focused on not only the, the physical aspects of that the interaction, the abduction like experience, but also the non-physical as well, um, and details of their experience, certainly uh, descriptions of the aliens, the craft, etc. So this. There's a, a spiritual, there's, there's physical, there's non-physical. It did cover a lot of a broad spectrum of, of issues that addressed their interaction. So we got so much data. We need, we utilize a research analyst, Dr. Russell Scalpone, to help us analyze that data. We needed an expert, and he certainly was one. This massive amount of data was synthesized, trying to figure out the most important aspects of this information. You know, we're talking about 3,200 individuals. We're talking about 600 questions each. That's a lot of information. And 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 nevertheless, it was it was accepted. Our our document, which reviewed the the study, analyzed the results, and formed some conclusions, uh, was published by a leading scientific organization, the Journal of Scientific Exploration. Uh, in in um, 2018, and you can access that online uh, via the Journal of Scientific Exploration. Um, the main findings: about about 70 to 80 percent thought that their contact experience changed their life in a positive way. It's not always positive. We we do hear negative reports, and we did see that as well. We're about about 15, 20 percent said it was negative, and they described their 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 negative experience largely with creatures that look scary, right? The reptilians. So there was more of a sure. negative experience associated with those interactions with beings like that versus human looking. Not surprisingly, especially the real sexy ones, right? As many others described. <laughs> That blonde hair, perfect, right? How many times we hear that? Perfect looking. You know, they they just kind of like, kind of like Aura, kind of like Aura Reigns, right? Yeah, <laughs> not related, not related. <laughs> you know what? You know what? Looks like? I, I just look, and I'm gonna I'm gonna regret saying this. Um, it looks like the woman they created the uh, the um, sex the new sex robot <laughs> or whatever you want to call it worth a hundred thousand dollars. Look at her. Anyway, we get back on the right track here. The, what, what is uniquely interesting, too, is that a subset of this population, roughly, I think, about 1,100 of them, out of them, about 80, 85% did not want their contact experience to end. They wanted to keep on having these abductions. And we saw this more, more frequent, a more positive outlook about the experience um, in those who were abducted more frequently, whereby we actually did separate individuals into separate groups by the number of their abductions from one to one to three is another group, another group, you know what I mean, five to six, you know, more than 10, that kind of thing. Those clearly, with, with the increasing abductions, we clearly saw a corresponding association with increase in positivity of their experience, a desire to continue, uh, benefits received, which were spiritual, which were in the form of insights about life, about love, about, about what's material, about religion, placing less importance on that, less importance on money, on materialization. A materialism that is, a, yeah, it goes on and on about how they change on a personal level, philosophical level, whereby people who know them, we know, we know what you know what I'm going to say. People who know them don't know them anymore. They change so much, like non near death experiences, and that's what's interesting too, because these people that we're looking at who claim to interact with other beings via the UAP and non, not a UAP. Keep that in mind. We're not only talking about the UAP phenomena, 
we're talking about too, just interacting with people not associated again with the UAPs, not a, a more non-physical thing. When you start throwing out who, who here has interacted with uh, non-human entities, the majority of them will say, I have, but it didn't involve a UAP, whereas mm-hmm. a minority of that group will say, well, it did. For us, it did, you know? Right. See, it seems to be like that. At least at least that's what the 3,200 pe- people showed in our group. That's but why they, I've always said I've always said to myself, and one of the conclusions that I've come to is that like the UFO phenomenon or UAP phenomenon is is something that, and the alien contact or abduction phenomenon are all are two different things, in many in many ways. And that's what that's what we're seeing, yeah. uh, the physical and the non-physical. Uh, so that that could very well be the most significant aspect of our results. And the positivity mm-hmm. outcome. Yeah, uh, yeah, it, that says a lot, you know. Yeah, but, but that but, transformative aspect uh, that you that you view in other things like yeah. other uh, psychedelic experiences, other things that you call a uh, peak experiences. It's it, the same kind of transformative change in the individual. Uh, yeah, and, and the fact is, apparently, this phenomenon is so complex it, that it also involves the impact on the uh, on the individual. And maybe that's the most interesting aspect of the whole phenomenon is that it does have that dramatic impact. And and yet we ignore it. We, we look for the nuts and bolts, the landing um, evidence, uh, crop circles, which is another story. And that's, that's real too. Uh, probably associated with the UAPs in some way or another intelligence, whatever that is. Uh, but but what led to this all, and I, what I had forgotten earlier and now remembered, was was uh, the DMT. People who have the DMT, people who have near death experiences, largely have similar outcomes to our subjects who reported interaction with non-human entities. For some reason, there is a dissolution of ego, regardless yeah. of the regardless of the facilitating event, whether it is the the out of body, the near death, the, the, the you know here's a being that just appeared at the foot of my bed, uh, all other you know wild and crazy things that happen to people, and and all of them are a little different in some ways, but similar enough to say there is certainly something going on. This just can't be all bullshit or hallucinations. There is in some cases, yeah, a lot of bullshit and a lot of hallucinations, but (laughs) no, not every, not in every case. Of course not. Come on. It's something deep. Um, And we're far from the answer, but you know, you know, it's quite interesting, but there is a similarity because I think people come to the realization of another re- reality. They come to a knowingness based on their experience that it was so unusual, so far out, but yet so meaningful and deeply, deeply impacting uh, yeah. at the spiritual level, at the essence of my soul. Now I know. I know. They all say, don't they say this? You heard it. I know now what life's about. Yeah. I know now X, Y, Z. I know now. that level of, of knowingness to the point where they know they're not their body. You know? I don't mm-hmm. know what that's about. I can say the words, I know I'm not my body. Well, you know, I, I think I'm not, but I don't know it. When you know it, life mm-hmm. changes. It's like an instinct, you know? It, it, I, if I knew it like the back of my damn hand, life's different. Life, it, yeah. that's what happens to these people. Um, and that's cool. You know, so in a way, I want to be an experiencer. In a way, I am, but not at that level. And these people that have had these contact experiences, they're like a hungry dog. I want more. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. And you know something? When I had my Kundalini experience, I purposely asked for it again from the person who facilitated it through a channeling experience, trying, doing, just talking. And, and besides the talking, channeling somehow, I can't explain it, some energy into me. It made me shake. It made me feel wonderful. It made me, it, I was uncontrolled. Brent knows we discussed it. I was in a spiritual emergency for months following that, but it had many benefits too. I was different. Um, yeah. I think I integrated, but in a positive way, but negative emotions, anxiety, what happened to me, all that stuff. That's a drag, but we, everybody experiences it. Yeah, that's part, that's part of it. Uh, but then it, it seems like, you know, in, in so much of uh, just the history of humanity and in more traditional societies now, um, st- still, uh, these type of uh, transformative experiences are such a big part of coming of age. They have ritualized forms of these experiences. But maybe, you know, we are really lacking in these, especially in the West. And it seems like these experiences are being actually you know, forced on, on people pretty much because that might have something to do with the fact that we need this, but it's absent in our culture. Yeah. And this is, this really is why, um, since we were going to be talking about the book, the first book I wrote back in 2004, visitors from hidden realms, uh, because I dealt with shamans and, and their techniques and, uh, a lot of the ancient history here and, and, uh, Mentioned the you know the Hopi Indians and the Kachinas, the medicine man that I interviewed in Pennsylvania who was in touch with these beings, the Adushkar, which he felt were extraterrestrial and very tall giant beings, and 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 uh, and of course in in this there's uh, these different cultures that use the ayahuasca like in 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 Peru, and the studies like uh, Dr. Rick Strassman his book the DMT the spirit molecule and how. Um, he noticed in the beginning that he, he was thinking, well, these are going to be, I'm going to subject these volunteers. He had 60 altogether from 1990 to 1995. And he did about 400 doses total. And uh, he was got government funding for this and, and had to get permits. It was a lot of, a lot of work, but he did it at a hospital out in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And, uh, Suddenly, you know, when he went to question them about their experiences, he expected, you know, just religious stuff, the um, uh, perhaps NDE archetypal type Im- imagery. And and these people were were saying, no, this these, these were real. You know, this was more real than real. And he kept hearing that over and over. So he realized I've got to, you know, instead of saying like, uh, whoops, sorry about that. Instead of saying there's um you know, what did you hallucinate or what did you visualize? You know, I had to say, what sort of being, uh, what kind of memories do you have? You know, I had to change the dialogue. He even got to the point where he started uh, uh, corresponding with a physicist about the theories about uh, um, quantum physics and things and, and uh, black, you know, dark energy and, and thinking maybe maybe they're seeing into another another dimension or something. And he noticed a lot of the reports were very similar to alien abduction that reports that John Mack, uh, the professor from Harvard, had been written two books about and uh, had been studying this phenomena. And so, you know, that's why I did this interview with with Bob recently, was he had posted in what used to be the free site on 
Facebook uh, for the last five years. Uh, now it's become CCRI, which is studying all the contact modalities, as they call it, which I think is a great name. Uh, you've got um, the DMT or you've got the near-death experiences. And anyway, try to make a long story short here, um, the Beyond UFOs and Dr. Strassman's book, DMT, The Spirit Molecule, um, these are all referenced in a study which I was discussing with, with Bob, which he brought up on this Facebook page um, about how a study was done by researchers from John Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. Yes, and yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, that's, yeah, they a, were, that's a very important study. Yeah, yeah, and they used the free study, um, you know, and, mm. and the kind of things that uh, they were getting with people who were describing conscious memories but having very similar descriptions of of these experiences as DMT users, you know, it was very real to them. And, uh, and so, you know, um, Bob kind of reopened that door and I thought he would make a great guest on this show to not only talk about, uh, what was in my book from 2004, but kind of bring this up to date with, uh, this study and how, how our involvement with, with free and, uh, the publication of beyond UFOs and, and Bob's uh, participation in the Journal of Scientific Exploration uh, uh, report is is very insightful. And um, so, yeah, I I don't, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and on that note, uh, uh, that study done by. <clears throat> medical personnel researchers at, at, at John Hopkins University, which again appeared in the Journal of Psychopharmacology uh, just just recently, uh, and it has been cited in, in many uh, news outlets uh, you know, on the internet, etc. But throughout their article, they made reference to ours, I'd say eight to ten times, uh, in terms of the general similarity of results from their subjects, again, who were given DMT, and our subjects, who we talked about earlier. And despite the dissimilarities of, of their experience, the fact is that they nevertheless shared many positive outcomes, and that relate, related again to the, the a greater interest in, in uh, understanding themselves and others. They they, they appreciated nature more I, I like to uh, always mention that I, I after my kundalini experience I, I uh, wanted to hug trees and I did I just <laughs> had an urge because why I t- because I took it for granted and I realized you know something that that darn thing is alive and it's beautiful and it can offer me something but the thing is this is that an act of you know what psychosis you know what I mean? It resulted from my experience. It's it's now gone away, but I'd like to integra- have th- thought it integrated it, whereby I integrated it, whereby I do appreciate nature more than I used to. I don't hug trees, however, but I <laughs> but I do, you know, uh, right, kind right. of toned it down. But but these yeah. people are saying they're more concerned about the welfare of the planet. They understand themselves better. That they, they they have uh, they're more open to the possibility of extraterrestrial life, whatever that is, maybe interdimensional stuff. Yeah, uh, their sense of uh, an, a, a greater meaning in life has been 
fulfilled, achieved. So uh, they're more interested in spirituality and psychic phenomena, more spiritual, I guess. They're, they're still ser- they're search for answers more. We, we we are that way naturally for whatever reason. Why why are you guys doing what you're doing? Why are we all look at look at the Brent? He's doing active research, traveling, interacting with people to seek answers. That's quite unique. He's not being paid for that. Uh, he just has that burning desire. You got it. And and we all and, it, and the flame gets hotter and cooler. Right now, Brent, right? I'm cooler. Like I, you know, I, I'm backing away. Sometimes you get a little too close, you, you you get burned. A lot of people go down this rabbit hole and do do experience something, and it's often not pleasant, or at least it's so different that it's anxiety provoking. But that's that's true. Right? Yeah. Yeah, but but it can lead to more concern and interest in spiritual matters. And what is truly important, like hugging trees, maybe that should be normal. We should love. Uh, and seek uh, that level of interaction and appreciation out of something like the tree. Maybe if we did, we'd enjoy life part of it, we'd enjoy life more. You know, so you get glimpses of that desire, and, and you say to yourself, why, why, why did I? Well, what happened? Um, you talk to psychologists about it, and, and the answers are going to be in the form of uh, – what hallucinatory uh, dissociation, uh, schizophrenia, of course, uh, temporary psychosis, all that sort of stuff. Are you given pills that are not necessary? In some cases, it is when you have great anxiety from it. However, but nevertheless, we 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 pierce a veil. These people pierce a veil, and more psychologists, sociologists are indeed becoming more interested in these experiences. Because there is some information here that is useful. In fact, it is piquing the interest of Senator Rubio. Just was it yesterday? And uh, you, you all are quite probably aware of it. He's the is he not the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee? Please correct me. And he's pushing the issue to his credit, and he's not alone. But he's leading the charge for the government, whoever, to open up and share what they know about UFOs. Uh, they want to get to the bottom of it, and good for them. They should. And it's coming from within. It's about about darn time. It, although we saw this in the '62, and nothing comes of it. So, um, yeah, that's always something that just gets pushed down the road, though. The whole disclosure thing. That's I. That's I, I think that what the something like the free study and the John Hopkins study is is far more important. I think that's the real disclosure, <laughs> in my opinion, just because the fact that what we're dealing with here guys i mean it's it's really our expression of of religious experience essentially and the transformative expression of a spiritual of being in contact with some kind of spiritual realm yeah and this is you know it goes way back before 1947 and uh i think the expression oh, yeah. contact, contact modalities is a, is a great Great thing. And that's what uh, CCRI now uh, used to be free. Now it's CCRI, Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, which will look at all of these different expressions, not just the UFO contact syndrome, but it will include near-death experiences. They've got, uh, I think, one of the top people in that field. Uh, They've got about, uh, I think, 25 PhDs and about five MDs who are lined up to assist with this uh, program and coming out with a – Instead of one book, as with Beyond UFOs, I think pretty soon they're going to come out with about three different volumes. And um, I don't know 
how far this will go, but it looks like it's, you know, collecting a, a lot of good uh, uh, people to uh, pursue this thing. Yeah, it's 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 important work. And especially, you know, really it's really looking at this phenomenon and really taking it seriously as and, and pulling it really kind of out of the woo factor of it and saying this is like what I just said. This is modern day religious experience. I mean, essentially, that's what it is. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's interesting of the free study. If we just can maybe focus on another very important aspect of it. Sure. Um, it appeared in our article again, and it also shared similarities to the to the results of the John Hopkins study. Um, if I remember correctly, in about six, seven hundred of, of our subjects, they answered uh, one question that that incorporated uh, certain criteria. And one of the criteria that had to be met was that they claimed to have interacted with a non-human intelligence in this alternate matrix reality. Is that you or me? That's me. Is that so, what is that? An Amber Alert? What, what's going yes, on? Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, in addition to that important criteria of meeting that NIH, let's call it non-human intelligence NIH, they also claim to have ten individual contact experiences of a non-physical nature, non-physical. So they weren't again physically relocated from wherever to on board a, a separate spaceship, another environment. And at the matrix reality that we call it, we just defined it for them, but at all other space time, that outside the body kind of perception, and we, we again clarified that from our perspective, that was as real as, as talking to a family member. So those three criteria had to be met. It was to them a very valid interaction with an NHI. Then, given those criteria, and and here again, about six seven hundred of a subset of the thirty two hundred individual were the only ones who met that criteria. That's why, but still, a very large sample size. Now, here again, this is why, and this is curious why ufology in general does not discuss these results because this is saying a lot, yet entirely, as far as I'm concerned, ignored by ufology and and science in general yeah. and it's important i think or at least it should try to be duplicated in a separate independent study that's a scientific method right it adds more validity of course to our results if it's similar well we just got that in a sense at john the john hopkins study but but it was not involving nhi from a non-physical in a non-physical way or from a UAP, but still they did share similarities, which is certainly intriguing. But the point is this, for those who met these three criteria, uh, the majority, something like, uh, here memory is gonna escape me, but something like 50, 60% said that when they had this experience, they weren't in their physical body. So there's an, uh, there's an OBE aspect certainly to it. And that's why it's the non, of a non-physical nature. Uh, they do say, um, and in other questions that related to, did you feel separated from your body? Was your consciousness separated from your body? You know, 70, 80% say, yeah, it was, it was. And then 
they, they, they talk about how their thoughts are sped up, how there's alterations in time and space. You know, things are very different. Um, things are more vivid, more colorful. We hear this in, in, in the ears, right? Uh, beautiful landscapes, uh, colors that are so brilliantly uh, colored, it's beyond description. All of that is like the real experience becomes capitalized with exclamation points. This is something about it that's much more dramatic than we can ever imagine until we are actually there. Or or it's a brain glitch, a brain event, which I don't think so. I don't think so. But you can't ignore it. You have to look at it. And science does. But if you ask a, a neuroscientist, neurologist, what's going on with these people, they'll give you a, a neuroscience, you know, neurological answer. Uh, why? Because that's all they know. You know, what, what else? Or, or it's a psychological answer, according to them. What else are they going to say? And they do have some foundation. There's some evidence, uh, you know, the brain glitches, the temporal lobe uh, seizures, uh, other areas of the brain when there are problems. So people do feel alterations of time. People do feel that they're outside their body. They do have similar kinds of experiences, but still, I've looked at them, still not the same by far. Still not that it doesn't involve interaction with other beings, deceased relatives, etc. Uh, still quite different in, in, in nature. So we can't I don't think we can draw the parallel, but but you still can't help but answer ask that question. Uh, so they, they feel that they, they they're in this matrix. They, they were in, in another reality. OK, what, what is that? I don't know. Is it real? That, that's the obvious question. Are, are they seeing a different world? That's the ultimate question, is it not? Or, or mm-hmm. are they seeing this world differently? That's it. And if they are seeing a different world, holy mackerel. Doesn't that answer a lot of questions? How do we get at that? How do we prove it? You can't. Other than, you know, an article in, in a journal like this, people are saying it and they feel it's as real as the back of their hand. Well, what does that do to scientists who are reading it? Nothing. It, it's not compelling. You know, it's um, anecdotal. And it's not following the scientific method in the manner in which they'd like. And it's not explainable. It's not falsifiable. It's not reproducible. It's happened spontaneously. It is so far out in left field in terms of an experimental design, they ignore it. They don't want any part of it. Too dirty. It's, it's, but there is truth here. And it's a needle in a haystack. But uh, what is that truth is the answer. Question yeah. that is. Yeah, the the way that I the way that I kind of look at it is that you have where people can kind of confuse the mechanism for I guess the experience itself. In other words, they think that the mechanism is what causes the experience when it's rather that it's a mechanism that this other side or whatever we want to call this uses to communicate with us. So like something like what you just talked about with the temporal lobe flare ups or just whatever, whatever there is a physical like with sleep paralysis, there's a physical process going on. That's there's no doubt of that. However, within that physical process, you know, it's used as a as a means of communication with 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 this other realm. You 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 mentioned a very, very critical point. That is that is the question. 
I, yeah. uh, exa- exactly. Um, you know, what, what comes first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing. And, you know, they probably interrelated. At, at some level, there's an interaction. It's a symbiotic kind of uh, interrelationship. There. I, I've, I've thought long and hard about that. I applaud you for thinking of it. Yeah. You know, you know what it reminds me of? And I mentioned this in my book, Unseen Forces, that Neuroanatomist, Jill Taylor, very good book, uh, Stroke of Insight. It's a very popular book. I, uh, I certainly endorse it. Um, very easy to read and um, insightful. Uh, she was a young woman. She had a stroke. Um, it, it shut down the left, left uh, hemisphere of the brain. Uh, and you can learn a lot from people who have these kinds of abnormalities. You know, science and medicine learns a lot from, from things that uh, are, are, are in a haywired state, unfortunately for the person, but it can be informative. Well, the, what? The left side of the brain. Okay, it processes language. It's logical thought that goes on there. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Um, but she described that that um, strange, strange feeling. She was at one with the universe. Um, she had this inner peace. She was. She felt a level of contentment she never had before, and she thought that you know, by the the right hemisphere of the brain, that that half that was in control during her stroke, she thinks that that it was associated with um, an increase in intuition, which she which she claimed she had during that time where the left brain was shut down. I'm more intuitive, she says. She says, I see the big picture. I see. Um, there's no boundaries, you know, see, you're part of it all, you're interrelated with the universe, uh, all, all that stuff we hear, right, that people say, either they have a kundalini experience, or they have an out-of-body experience, or uh, some meditative, uh, you know what I mean, uh, it's facilitated in so many yes. ways, but but they, uh, whatever, right, they, they go up, <laughs> they go to uh, up the stairs, um, well, bada bing, you know, she 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 was left with the impression, you know, that when when the left hemisphere is with not it not functioning, and that's important because why people who meditate it suppresses left hemisphere um, um, near death experience. It certainly suppresses left hemisphere. Uh, you get you do when you shift away from logical thought, and you see this in different experiments. You shift away, you stop the left hemisphere from its activity. People gain greater insight. It's like going into um, oh I forget the wave now one of the uh, the like the Schumann resonance of planet Earth seven point eight hertz it's like that that the, like a theta wave of the brain when you go into a deep meditative state you go into it it's low nice low wave activity that that's what's what's similar to the resonance of of the ionized gases the geomagnetic field of the Earth it's a coincidence <laughs> you know what i mean we're interconnected we well, of course we're, we sagan used to talk about this all the time we are we're space stuff we see evidence of of, of this interrelationship well the human resonance too very interesting that's 7.8 hertz we have that in our brain that's a theta wave right so you, you I, I i tend to play that when i meditate at binaural beats uh, it's cool, you know. Whatever turns you on, flute. I like flutes too. I ain't Native American flutes, right? Something about it, you resonate with it. So, so what? What's the point? What's the point? She's saying that my right hemisphere is interrelating with something that gives me this great awareness, this inter, this interrelationship, which I felt too during that Kundalini. I know what she's talking about, uh, but again, it's words, and it's not the essence of feeling. So I think I know what she's uh, she's talking about. And, you know, who knows for sure, right? But maybe again, like what you're saying, the 
there is some brain stuff here, but but whatever the phenomenon is, it's it is interacting with our brain, allowing it, allowing it to yes. better become more sensitive, you know, fine tuning it to interact better with them. And, and, and they do a poor job. You know, when they when they do their thing, either the UFOs or these beings or whatever they do, um, they do a poor job trying to show us, hey, we're here. You know, I want you know, you got you people on Earth. You should be aware that we are here. OK, you know, look at me. I'm flying in the sky. Look at me. I'm fat. I'm a, look at me. I'm a, I have lights around going around in circles. Look, you know what I mean? I'm doing a, a 45 degree angle. Are you convinced now? You guys can't do it. But 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 we can because. We're not earthlings, you know, you know, I think a lot of these, you know, these cowboys, alien cowboys, and maybe they're just that. A lot of them are just that. They're saying this is their way of a Saturday night out. Hey, let's turn on. Let's turn some heads. Let's teach them. I'm acting a little silly here. I know. But why did they do the what they do? That's my point. Yeah. Why do they do what they do? Well, do, do you do you any time speculate that? something might be guiding us as a collective humanity or that they're kind of pushing these transformative experiences on people because we have to change maybe for survival or for whatever our next step is going to be. Uh, wow. It, you know, there's more insightful knowing people who are better equipped to handle that kind of a question than me, but that is, that is an ultimate question. I wish I had the answer, man. I wish the heck I can give you well, the lowdown. Do you on speculate that? that? I speculate. You just yeah. Speculate it. Yeah, I yeah. speculate to this level. I tell my wife. I put my hand, kind of like upside down. My fingers are, are, are pointed downward, right? And I, what am I doing? I, I dangle my fingers. You know what I'm trying to do? And I go like a puppeteer. I feel somebody's playing me. It's it freaks her out. <laughs> It freaks her out, but the point is, I've I felt that. Now, yeah, it could be a level of whatever. It makes believe. Who the heck knows? But it's real to me, so it's real. That's it. So uh, uh, I do feel that for, because of a series of wild events that have happened. You go down this rabbit hole, and by the being, things happen. And yeah. They happen for a reason. I think you create it in a way. You create. You're asking for it. You're going to get it. You create it, or you increase the probability of it happening. By the things you do, the people you interact with, the things you read, all that. You look, you search, you you talk, you actively. Look at Brent. He's running all, all over the place searching for an answer. What a truth seeker. Commend, I commend you, son of a bitches. I commend you to, <laughs> to the nth degree. See, you did it your whole life while I'm sitting in a, guy, in a laboratory, you know, trying to publish an article, right, quickly so I get tenured. We, we come from different universes. But – I'm free. Yeah, I come it, from the SOB side. <laughs> yeah, but, but it, 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 ah, it, trying it, to connect the dots. That's that's all yeah. we're left with is trying to connect the dots. You know, yeah. and ufology, the mainstream ufology has been uh, so divided. And you know, you had the contactees, space brothers. You had the psycho spiritual thing really heavy back in the early '50s on. It was you know George yeah. Damsky and and Howard Menger and all of them. And and uh, then you had you know, the major UFO organizations, they complained about the Air Force, like NICAP. And uh, and yet, lo and behold, they, they made the same mistakes the Air Force did. You know, if, an, if a being steps out of the craft or it lands, it's got to be a hoax. If uh, someone reports more than one UFO encounter, they're a repeater. They can't tell the difference between a, a flying craft or something of anomalous nature and the planet Venus on the horizon. And it really took with... Dr. Hynek, you know, um, 
meeting Jacques Vallée in, in 1963 to find out that, hey, these stories from France, the wave they had back in 54, uh, contained all these elements that he'd been ignoring, you know. And then he took seriously uh, the investigation in Sacro, New Mexico, uh, of the, the landing there in 64 with uh, that police officer, Zamoro, or how we pronounce his name. And suddenly, uh, you know, there was a shift. But we, we still, you know, if uh, to Heineck for years, um, and I think this is his book, The UFO Experience, you know, uh, if someone had reported more than one UFO, it was, it was dismissed because a lot of times they felt it was the repeater element. They were just uh, mistaken all these things, streetlights and Venus and weather balloons or whatnot. And uh, they weren't getting, uh, but now we, you know, Strieber and, and uh, I think uh, Bud Hopkins, they drove the point home in 1987 with communion and uh, and uh, intruders with the fact that there is something really strange going on here, the alien abduction, and they concentrated on that and, and uh, began to say, well, okay, these people have had experiences going back to childhood. There is something to it. But still, they, they, they wanted to focus just on the cases where it looked like uh, ETs were involved. And and like with Bud Hopkins, I know John Keel uh, tried to introduce Hopkins, you know, who was a, a New York artist and really was – this whole hypnosis thing was new to him. And he tried to educate him about uh, some of the dangers of hypnosis and, and – uh, to cast a wider net, which uh, he said that Hopkins didn't want to do. If someone mentioned a, a poltergeist, he said they didn't discuss that there at his meetings. But if someone mentioned I had a dream of a gray, oh, yeah, let's, uh, you know, dive into some hypnosis here. And uh, Keel, I know, had commented that uh, what they weren't counting on was the fact that the unconscious mind could be a trickster, too, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And, and, and also the whole thing about hypnosis being itself an altered state of consciousness so that when people are probably going under hypnosis, they're probably actually having the experience right then as you're talking to them. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's that, that's the that, bit, that's the possibility that I think a lot of people don't look at that. It's, this might not be memory. This might be happening. <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember a case. uh um, can't remember the name of the woman, but she was, uh, these investigators decided to follow her and suddenly she was having this experience seeing these aliens. The only problem was she was having it. They weren't, you know, they were like, she's just laying there, uh, kind of in an altered state of consciousness, obviously. And, uh, she's experiencing that something that's real to her, but not to, uh, to them. And, and, you know, uh, Carl, Young, the late great Swiss psychologist who, you know, came up with uh, introvert and extrovert, worked with Sigmund Freud, and and he was um, came up with this archetypes of the collective unconscious um, versus the personal unconscious, and that that uh, people who had no familiarity with certain things would experience uh, these recurring symbols and themes that actually had more meaning in other cultures or cultural settings than the one they had been raised in. And uh, he felt that the mandala might, uh, for example, be something that would be a visionary experience that people would say, oh, I've, I've seen a flying saucer. And he spent quite a bit of time looking at historical accounts of strange 
tubes and spheres and things and uh and a, a modern 50s contactee i can't remember his name but i remember he spent several pages on that um and he described something he called the psychoid experience um where he said this might be relevant to the ufo phenomena he said that uh he was with a group of uh four people who were standing there by a psychic medium and these four people were trying to show young where to look there was this moon-shaped orb type thing hovering over the guy's abdomen they could clearly see it they said but they they couldn't get young to see it um you know and they were quite quite puzzled shocked disturbed by the by that fact and he he said he wrote that he had known a number of instances similar to that experience and that was one he had had himself and he was sure that they were they were sincere in saying they could see this thing, uh, but he was equally sure that he couldn't see it. So four could see it, one couldn't. I know we have a Angelia Shear who is, uh, you know, right up here in Nashville, Tennessee, who is a MUFON uh, state director, and she uh, she began to cast a wider net when she came across a case of uh, twelve or fourteen people along a beach, and suddenly four of the people could see a craft and no matter how hard they tried to point it out to the others, they couldn't see what uh, was so obvious to these four. And, uh, you know, so what's, what's that about? And yeah, uh, what is the mechanism there? Yeah. I, yeah. I saw, and, and the influence is, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I just, I, I remember that it reminds me of seeing this uh, thing from the seventies, um, the, the great Kreskin, the mesmerist. Mm-hmm. that he had on uh, J. Allen Hynek on the show. And he does this experiment where he essentially hypnotizes this group of people into thinking that they're seeing a, a flying saucer. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, he, uh, Kreskin was actually uh, the mentalist. He claimed to be um, claimed an interest in UFOs and, and psychic phenomena. I was actually fortunate to do an interview with him one time. And anyway, he claimed some of his abilities were actually for real more than just, you know, uh, tricks. Uh, he believed in psychic phenomena. Oh yeah. Uh, he was a real deal. Uh, I've, I've seen him in action. I know people who experience his talents. He's, he's the real deal. Um, and here, one, one of the few people who do have that ability of non-locality, he collects information that there's absolutely no way he could have obtained. No doubt about it. That is doable. I've seen it manifest in many ways. But but we're talking about what you gentlemen are talking about is 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 the influence of, an, of some outside force on the individual to UAP making one person see it, but not others. We, we hear that continuously. It's like a selective process uh, or or it may be something about their sensory perception, their brain that allows them to see it while others can't for some reason. We don't know, but is it, is it truly coming from external or the, the internal of the individual? Like the DMT experience, you have to give the person that the dimethyltryptamine, the, the ayahuasca, that, that, that uh, hallucinogenic chemical, um, it induces that kind of so-called hallucination. Uh, but, but here again, they have the same feeling uh, in some ways 
that that are described by the NDEers and and those that interact with the non-human intelligences, uh, uh, communicating basically with other other beings, uh, other entities that, that they experience or believe in in an afterlife. Um, they think um, there's something to do with consciousness, not their body. They they do see geometric patterns, but they don't think other people experience that with the UAP or the NDE. There are similarities. There are also unique differences too. So it could very well be influencing their sensory system that that chemical, and not in others. And why should it be? Uh, in terms of the ENT and UAPers, so this is very specific. But the the key is this: Are they passing into another world? Because there they they feel that they are meeting intelligent entities. They're communicating with them. Time and space are altered. Similar stuff that the UAPers are are essentially saying. And when they come, fill, and when these people are given psilocybin or DMT, they're finding a few studies. Again, the, the most recent one we talked about uh, earlier. Uh, a, a good percentage of them, this is what really moves me, and I forget the exact numbers, but we're talking in the hundreds, but about a quarter or so of that hundred were atheists. After taking the DMT, something like a third of the quarter, and I can't remember the absolute number, but what is that, 40, 50, a, a surprisingly high number, then believes in, in a supreme being. Uh, wow. DMT actually shifted something that significant in terms of their personal beliefs. And then and science says that's not reality, right? Uh, well, it is. If, it's, if it can alter one's beliefs that dramatically on such a significant level about such an important thing, that's reality to me. And, and that's the basis of philosophers to figure out. And I think eventually 100 years, who knows when, uh, society will move maybe in that direction, looking more at the non-physical evidence, believing more so. What people who are telling us on podcasts, interviews, we write about, talk about like we're doing now, uh, they are experiencing something that simply can't be documented quantitatively, only qualitatively. Can't apply the principle of the scientific method, which we all know. And that leaves us high and dry. So we so we can sound a little aberrant to the average individual that doesn't really care about this, not to put them down at all. For some reason, here again, we're different. We're wired different, like the person who who, who only likes to skydive or, or or risk death by going up, uh, you know, Mount Everest. They got that thrill gene. Well, we're all different in some way. We're tuned this way. Uh, we have this is what thrills us. So we seek, we like to seek the truth. The truth thrills us, and we do see the truth. But the similarities, like we're noting, we're, we're trying to tease the information. We're, get, we're looking at, and Brent does this beautifully. Uh, get at that needle in the haystack. Is there something here that we're overlooking that that is giving us a aha moment? Mm-hmm. Is is it a survey like this that is similar to the survey that Kenneth Ring, Doctor Kenneth Ring, psychologist, did with his NDEs and UAPs? Similar results to our UAP results. And again, not purely AUP. It was physical and non-physical. Different phenomena, but interacting with non-human entities. That's the key. Whatever shape, size, angels, celestial beings, you know, wolves, shape-shifting beings, whatever. Boy, they all come in different different times, different different types, right? And uh, so the DMT is an external event. But it's allowing their, is it allowing their brain, this chemical that is produced endogenously in such micro doses, so small in the brain, in, in an area of the brain, of the brainstem, uh, 
does it actually exert a force on human behavior? Is it actually doing something to allow us to pierce the veil, shut down a little bit of the left side, allowing us to see an alternate reality, uh, as people are claiming they are doing? When, when, and, and when Straussman met with John Mack, the psychiatrist from Harvard who did the research with alien abduction uh, individuals, they compared notes about what their subject experienced under the different facilitators, DMT and UAP, and, and they were literally blown away, as, as Straussman said, literally, quote unquote, blown away by the similarity of the reports by their subjects. Uh, and we continue to see that. We continue to see similarities with what Heineck said back in the 60s. We're dealing with a phenomenon so strange to our terrestrial mode of thought. It's, it's a physical and a non-physical. You know, people forget this. You know, new, newbies coming in, new ages, whatever. And I give them credit. I love them. Keep seeking the truth. Keep listening to shows like this. You're on the right path. I commend you, man. I really commend I wish I had shows like this when I was growing up. <laughs> not not that only, you know, kids and 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds. Are li- you know, older people are listening to you guys, too. But you know what I mean. You're on the sure. right path, people. You're on yeah. the right path. Keep doing it. Um, um, and be careful who and what you believe. I'm not saying believe me. Be careful what oh, yeah. I say. Be careful. There's a lot of sense and nonsense on, on your show. I, I We all know that. You're not going to say it. You know, you interview some people, if I may say. <laughs> Brent, you know, there's a lot, and I hear it all the time. I'm not, I'm not talking about your show. Just, I'm telling the audience as consumers, don't interpret everything you hear literally. We And I, and I find myself getting into that habit sometime. I step back and say, wait a minute, this is a bunch of bullshit. You know, yeah, be, ha- care- be, be careful what you have, have. Have a healthy sense of skepticism, but not so much skepticism that you discount everything. It's a fine balance. It's a yeah. tough balance to achieve and to maintain consistency with that. Correct. And a lot of personality, feelings, experience, etc. So, <clears throat> so look, uh, is it the brain that's allowing us to see this? Is the left brain shutting down, like like the neuroanatomist said when she had a stroke? Is or or is is something from outside actually? tweaking our brain, making us therefore more sensitive, allows uh, allowing us physiologically to see them better. You know, it's hard to know for sure when the telepathy is going on, as they all say, you know, that, that apparently they never speak or very few do, right? They all talk uh, via the, the airways. So. <clears throat> well, one of the things well, I, I'd like to bring up at this point, yeah. sorry, just barge in, but I mean, you know, um, these like the John Hopkins study, they, they did a survey, 2,561 DMT users and experiencers. And we're talking about, you know, how the brain is wired. And um, what I'd like to see come out in a journal article is this study that's been going on with uh, Gary Nolan of Nolan Labs at Stanford and uh, Christopher Kit Green, who actually in 1972 was you know asked by the director of the CIA Richard Helms to you know be a person who would be an analyst and a handler of people like Israeli psychic Uri Geller and and uh, some of the psychics and the scientists like at Stanford Research Institute which he was he was quite skeptical of that in the beginning and then after some experiences with Geller, he realized, uh, I think especially, that uh, this guy really can uh, see things at a distance. He, is, he does have, you know, and he, he realized also 
the UFO apparitional element involved in these cases. And, uh, and so now he's still quietly doing his research and Gary Nolan says, you know, he's come on board recently and they're doing MRI scans of, um, people who are experiences and people who say they, they're absent experiences in their life, like some of the experiencers and concentrating on a lot of police, military people, uh, night watchmen, uh, people who appear to be quite credible and have had experiences like being hit by beams of light from UFOs um, and looking at their brains and, and, and going through their medical records. And they've got over 100 people who are experiences and say that they're in their brains, there's a higher density neuronal connection between the head of the Kude and the Pudiman. I hope I'm saying that right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bob Kool-Aid, yeah, Kool-Aid Pudiman. Yeah. And that, yeah. Mm-hmm. that this is absent in non-experiencers. And, and Gary Nolan told me that they're, they're going to do a journal article in the future, which I don't know when that will be. But to me, that would be a boost, although we can't see what these people see themselves. If we can actually see changes going on in their brains that either were there to begin with or else were caused by these interactions uh, with these beings or these energies or whatever the heck we're talking about here. Um, This would be a way for science eventually to become, you know, more and more involved in this. And uh, I'm hoping something does come out of this. Um, I think it's long overdue the, the study that they're, they're working on. Brent, let's talk a little bit about uh, this book that you published in 2004, Visitors from Hidden Realms. Um, and I want to I want to hit on a couple of points. And probably what we'll do the next time we have you on, we'll talk a little bit more about the book too. Um, but just because there is a lot in this book, not not a very long book, but you you pack a lot in. Um, so this is related to what we're talking about. And this is kind of this idea, the role of the shaman, like a shamanistic role of these experiences mm-hmm. and kind of like the, 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 the shamanic nature of them that, and we've kind of been hitting this, this whole time that like, this is, these, these things are life changing and that the, and that that is very much within the shamanic tradition of of an experience that changes your life, changes your outlook completely. Um, if you've seen, uh, what was that Sergio called witness of another world or witness to another world? Yeah. Alan Stevelman documentary. World. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, if you've seen that documentary, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's very well done about the, about the guy in, uh, Chile that had this experience as a teenager and kind of like his reintegration into this tribe that he was descended from uh, in Chile. And so, but that's a wider, there's a wider aspect that you talk about in the book too, that is about just kind of like these native American sites and kind of their connection to some of this, to some of this energy and some of this phenomenon. I just kind of want to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, this, um, this actually, um, a gentleman named John Burke, who who wrote a book um, back in uh, 2005 called "Seed of Knowledge, Stone of Plenty," with a with a guy with the last name of Halberg. Who John 
Burke, unfortunately, has passed on, but uh, Halberg has a, a, a Cash Halberg, K-A-J Halberg, has a, um, a website where he has a PDF file of this, this book so that people can still get to read it. And I, I did an interview with him about, uh, you know, using all this, you know, instrumentation that he used, going from sites in, in England and uh, across the United States and down into Central America, ancient sites. And he was amazed again and again at the um, the strong, you know, magnetic fields, electrical fields associated with the sites that uh, these ancient people considered very sacred and special. And he wondered how was it again and again that they uh, they located and picked these sites, um, you know, as places to be a sacred space, to meditate in and do spiritual practices. And uh, he also noted that, uh, that there was this, uh, what he called the 3 a.m. wow, that um, the geomagnetic energy would fluctuate at a maximum level around three o'clock in the morning. And this was something that came up in Dr. Strasman's DMT book, uh, that 3 a.m. the pineal's melatonin level is at its highest peak. And melatonin, we do know, um, increases lucidity or vividness in, in the dream state at that time. Uh, the body temperature drops. But... Um, if the, some people believe that the the the, um, the melatonin is actually the the key that we're looking for in the DMT search, that it's a there's an enzyme that's involved that that alters it to a DMT type chemistry, and so a number of people are looking at 3 a.m. John Keel even in Fate magazine back in '94 wrote about uh, the magic magic hour of 3.20 a.m. and um, how he noticed a lot of contacts and things, strange things, and earth energies changing too at that time. Um, so this is another connect the dots type thing. I mean, it's what we all try to do, make correlations with these different things. But uh, yeah, it um, it looks like, you know, Keel was looking at what he called window areas where things just keep keep reoccurring it'll flare up then it'll die down then you know years later the same area gets hit again and uh, he talked about gathering um, these survey maps that the u.s geological survey had flown back in the 50s and 60s aircraft over the united states and put on maps where um, there were these magnetic anomaly sites and this is, of course, uh, John Burke's book, of course, was further confirmation of that. And, uh, and I think the time factor, Valley said early morning seems to be when most of the, the landings and probably the contacts occur. And I know other people have been, been researching the 3 a.m. factor. And, and uh, so I think little by little it's trying to understand what uh, what different factors are in common you know like we've been talking about with uh, the experiencers uh, the way they process the information psychically mentally or whatever and what uh, forces in the here and now may be involved um, 
and you know we're looking at we went like myself with keel and and valley and 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 studying ufos i got into all this i i i'm fascinated by uh you know joshua crutch cutchins cutchins and and uh timothy renner's book um where the footprints in Mm-hmm. They took it from the the Bigfoot end, you know, and and make all these correlations between these paranormal right. things and uh, right. and orbs, UFOs, um, and if we could um, just get everybody to be more multidisciplinary and interested in comparing notes, but everybody pretty much like cryptozoology—that's my field. If a cryptozoologist is out, there's a UFO. There's quite a number of them that will ignore that report and just document the the cryptid event and vice versa. UFOologist will will not pay attention a lot of times to the paranormal or to the the cryptid event. They're strictly there to find out about the the yeah. UFO. So they don't get they don't get the full picture. They don't get the full picture. And I yeah. think that's you know, that's what it's all about is trying to connect all these dots, make all these associations that need to be established. And uh, and there was a book I was reading about um how like in China and India, that many of the temples were actually built on locations where mysterious balls of light had appeared. And uh, so this there's been a lot of a lot of uh, this things going back to the ancient past, like Jacques Vallée's passport to Magonia back in '69, uh, studying a lot of the fairy lore, the elementals. Um, and you know, there's just the, we have to cast a wider net (laughs) and the shamanistic elements. Um, I think the shamans were, you know, the, the early experiences are very similar to the contact experiences of today. The Marian apparitions is another area that's fruitful to explore. Yes, very much so. Very much so. The, the, so would you say that like these areas, like these, these, like the, the mounds or these native American sites are built over some kind of energy path or something? Cause you do talk about an experience that you had, I think at some site in Alabama. Well, um, there was a, there was a site up actually in, in Portsmouth, Ohio, which isn't too far, about an hour's drive from, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Oh, um, okay. That, you know, that, there's uh, a connection. Yeah, and 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 this uh, this place that had been uh, this, we were meditating in this uh, large horseshoe-shaped earthwork uh, located today at a park, and across from it's a school, which is also sitting on a large U-shaped mound, which you can't get to because it's covered over. A lot of what was there is, of course, destroyed, but. Um, Back in 1848 or so, I think it was 1848, there was archaeologists who were there and mapped this all out. And uh, we can go around Portsmouth area and across the Ohio River into Kentucky and still see bits and pieces. I mean, it was massive. It stretched on for miles. It was a sacred pathway that people would walk during their rituals and ceremonies. And uh, it obviously involved um, connecting a lot of these sites with uh, the rise of, you know, different planetary bodies at certain times of the year mm-hmm. and it was pretty pretty sophisticated but yeah there was um there was 
balls of light seen at this this particular site and uh when we were there um my uh my wife and I got permission from the mayor and his wife to go into this uh large horseshoe shaped mound to uh prepare the site uh for the group that was going to be going in there um we were part of a tour group with the association for research and enlightenment working with uh, doctors greg and laura little mm-hmm. um and uh, so anyway uh we had smudged we had saged the uh the uh the area and we thought we were doing really good and then um we realized we had uh, actually failed to, uh, in our enthusiasm, to do one basic thing. We hadn't smudged ourselves. We should have smudged ourselves before we went around smudging the whole area. So um, my wife and I uh, had left this big foot-long feather on uh, a little blanket nearby, and it wasn't there. So I said, well, okay, we'll just uh, we'll just do it by hand. We got this little bowl here, and we'll just I'll smudge you and you smudge me. So we do that. As soon as we get done, the feather is back on the, the blanket again. You know? And so I get the you know tape recorder and I record what happened. And um, we played it back. You could just barely hear me. And I was right there at it. And my wife was talking off and on. There was, there was uh, uh, somebody mowing a yard nearby. There was uh, a helicopter that kept going out. There was traffic. We were in the city. And none of this you could hear. And it was just kind of unusual. And uh, and then the people were brought in. And um, this is going to be a long story. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Greg says, okay, you, you tell them what you feel about the site. You just, you know, and everybody sat in kind of a circle. And it turned out that um, there was – People felt vibrations. Uh, they kind of saw inner lights as they were meditating. Two people actually felt a reincarnation connection to the site. Uh, but when I was talking, it was like there was a sound uh, barrier or something. They, Unless I was looking directly at them, they said that uh, they couldn't hear me. And uh, I should have been talking loud enough that they could have. And then later, we're downtown at a restaurant. And... Uh, my wife is sitting across from uh, the mayor's wife, who, who both of them helped to facilitate us using this, this site to do what we were doing. And uh, uh, she later confided that when we were talking, uh, that my wife and her were talking, they're sitting just like three feet across from each other. Suddenly, my wife's voice to her was where she could hardly hear, you know what she was saying. And, uh, she thought, my goodness, am I, am I having an anxiety attack or what's going on with me? You know, she's thinking all this and they had been talking about, uh, when she was, you know, about religion and how they were raised and, um, as young children, how the church affected them. And, uh, she had just described how, when she was, a a, uh, the mayor's wife described how when she was a, a young girl, the church she had been going to burn down. Well, um, that night, um, um, I'm, I woke up 
and it was early in the morning and um suddenly i'm in my mind's eye i'm seeing like a like a shaman's face in a costume and then i see these little blue flames uh kind of like the uh in a circle kind of like the gas flames on uh, a gas stove and and so anyway i i get up and i go into the bathroom and i i'm i'm thinking okay uh i don't know if this is real or means anything but uh um i don't mean any disrespect to any shamanic presence that may we may have encountered here at, at this site uh but uh um this is just to help to facilitate the sessions i'm not claiming i'm a shaman or anything like that um and and then about a week later i'm i call up and i'm, I'm talking to the the mayor's wife and uh she uh, tells me about what had happened to her and that uh, since their con- you know, the conversation she had with my wife, uh, another of her childhood churches that she had been to burned down since, you know, talking. Uh, they never did find out that she heard uh, what caused that fire, but I always wondered, was it a gas stove? <laughs> but I don't know if, I don't know if that's the, <laughs> the story you're, you're talking about, but uh I, I did have um we used to have a sweat lodge here behind our house and uh we had sweats and we had a lady from Alabama who would uh usually lead the sweats. She was of Cherokee and Choctaw ancestry and had quite a number of very interesting experiences, including uh, some connected with the UFO frame of reference. And um anyway I was um it was after one of those sweats that I had a feeling that uh, I needed to go to a certain sacred site called the Clint Kinlock uh, shelter. Yeah. That's uh, the one that, yeah. 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 And that was down in, um, down the Bankhead forest in, in Alabama, a huge forested area, federal, federal land. And anyway, it's considered quite sacred by a number of people. I read one account where a guy had uh, gone there and he had this out of body experience where suddenly he felt connected with the, the universe, you know, one of those real positive things. And um, so anyway, I went there and I'm, I'm excited. There are petroglyphs, you know, rock carvings and, and I'm walking around and taking pictures, making drawings. And, um, you know, the sweat lodge lady, the, uh, who's on the, the medicine path, uh, she informs me, uh, Brent, sit your ass down over this rock and get out of your head. <laughs> that's what she said and i said it's very hard right now i you know i'm i'm just you know if spirit wants to contact me you know just i just need to try harder (laughs) i'm I'm really excited so anyway about a week or two later i'm i'm in the uh the the sweat lodge about the second round and i start seeing some imagery it's like uh circular concentric circles or something and and i'm there analyzing it i'm thinking okay this is to maybe uh something to do with the optic nerve phosphenes or something and then suddenly it takes a shape that reminds me of the footprints i had seen carved at kinlock site and uh i thought wow that's now that's interesting because all of a sudden right before my my eyes it, it changes into that and uh and so it got me to thinking about that. And I, I had made notes. We went to another site nearby um, before going to that one, Kenlock. 
And at that one nearby, I, you know, there were carvings as well. And I'm sorry about the length of the story, but uh, no, anyway, totally okay. That's fine. the things that I had jotted down, one of them was um, Southern Cross. The word came to me, Southern Cross. And I really puzzled over that because I couldn't think of what, you know, I kept, was it something I read, whatever. Um, it just made no sense. And then a few months later, I'm over in uh, um, Memphis, Tennessee, visiting doctors Greg and Laura Little. And uh, I was introduced to Andrew Collins from England, who's uh, uh, a, you see him on Ancient Aliens quite a bit. He's all over the world visiting different ancient sacred sites. And, and Greg and, and uh, Andrew are, are writing a number of books together, uh, the latest yeah. being the Dennis of uh, Origins. Yeah. And um, anyway, he's at the time he's telling me and showing me some illustrations of a book that he's got that hasn't come out yet. Uh, he's a big, he's a big Gobekli Tepe guy, isn't he? Yes. Andrew yes. Collins? He is. Yeah. yeah. And at the time he had this book coming out called, uh, the Cygnus mystery and, and Greg and he were working together and on some sites here in, um, here in North America that connected also with Cygnus and so he was, you know, they were going around to these different sites, but this was all new to me. And, and so eventually when, you know, I noticed some of his symbols and things looked like things I had seen in my mind's eye. And there was also that, that, uh, bird's foot thing that, uh, uh, had, a, had a strong resonance with, and it was, it was, uh, part of, uh, this Cygnus thing it was supposed to be like this sacred bird motif that had been, uh, connected with different places, including the Tepe, Tepe site. And, uh, and then when, uh, see, at the, at the time, thou, you know, thousands of years ago, uh, Cygnus would have been uh, part of the, where the North Star was because the Earth kind of shifts a little over time. And Deneb was, was the North Star. And, um, and as I'm, when the book finally came out, I'm reading it the Cygnus mystery and come and find out um, there was another cross. They call it a twin cross of the North star, um, the Southern, the Northern cross. It was the, the Southern cross, which was visible uh, from pretty much from the lower part of the world, the lower hemisphere, like in Peru. And, uh, and so um, I felt like that was, where this at all kind of was, was leading. And I had, oh, you know, connected with uh, a Benita Luz, a psychotherapist who had spent over a year in Peru and had led tours down in Peru. And she introduced me to physically introduced me to the Peruvian whistles, which are really trippy. And, uh, um, I found out that Daniel Stackenau, I mean, uh, Rick Strasman, sorry. <laughs> Rick Strasman had, uh, who wrote the DMT, the spirit molecule, um, actually one of his subjects, uh, was a person who made the Peruvian whistles, replicas of them there in New Mexico, uh, a Don Wright. Turns out Don Wright was one of the 60 people in his study, Jeremiah. And I, I after interviewing Rick Strasman from a magazine, and the interview is also in the book, uh, mm -hmm. visitors from hidden realms. Um, 
he, uh, I said that, in the, you know, I wrote to, I wrote to uh, Dr. Strassman. I said, you know, you talked about how maybe chanting certain instrument sounds, maybe uh, the vibrations kind of like resonation, uh, like when you break a glass, a certain sound, maybe something happens with the pineal gland. If there's certain chemistry there, like DMT that, uh, or DMT like chemistry could, could cause a release of this and cause these experiences. And, uh, he's, you know, I asked him if he'd ever had ever heard the Peruvian whistling vessel. So this was a huge coincidence. And he said, yeah, there's a guy who come by here and introduced and they're pretty trippy. Uh, that would sort of fill the bill. And, uh, but he couldn't remember the guy's name. And so then I went back to Don Wright, who I bought four of his, his vessels, which I use in, in demonstrations and doing meditations. Um, and uh, he says, uh, yeah, I was one of the, the 60 volunteers. So then I, I, I went back to Strassman and says, yeah, uh, Don Wright. And he says, oh, yeah, okay. And it was in his book, he's the subject known as Jeremiah. And... Uh, it's, yeah, it's uh, a, <laughs> it's pretty wild, but um, it, yeah, I, I, I think I'm probably going on too long with this. <laughs> all kinds, all kinds of just coincidences and synchronicities is kind of where you're going with that. Yeah, would, it is. Think. Yeah, yeah. And 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 but just he, recently, just recently, I had, uh, you know, used one of Don Wright's description he gave me uh, about his experiences, which. You know, he's in a laboratory and he sees uh, in one, at one point and he sees different things. And I, I actually copied this down in case we got onto the subject here. And, and he wrote me each um, segment uh, experience of DMT uh, took me to a completely different world. In a sense, I seem to have um, a deja vu experience. An example was one in which I discovered myself in a round multi-floored facility in which there were transparent capsules containing human essences. I had the impression that human essences were there waiting to physically manifest. I clearly seemed to recognize I had been there before. And that made me think of uh, two of uh, people who have these alien abduction or contact memories whether aboard a craft and they're in some sort of laboratory type setting and they see um people in you know these jars or tubes or whatever you know sure. uh, but anyway um sorry about jumping all over the place there <laughs> oh no that's that's fine Brett. that's fine that's like you know the that's another thing that I was going to mention too. Like uh, Bob brought this up, like that some of the transformative stuff is like the role of synchronicity in all this. Like you were, Bob was, you were talking about how you, you know, the making the, the motion of like a puppet or like a marionette, you know, when, when you have all this like synchronicity storm and it's happened to me, like you feel like there's something else going on, something higher than yourself. Uh, so I definitely hear what's that question. And, and when you, when you become aware of, uh, the the beyond coincidence nature of a synchronicity where there's a, 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 a combination of of timing and of course meaning there has to be meaning uh, of such a profound nature that provides insight 
or, or uh, unique evidence to help you solve an aspect of life. You know, and that is a synchronicity. And I've had many uh, enough that was so extreme, like you're like you're referring to. And we could all share a story and, and it's a little boring at, at some level, but they're so meaningful to us person that that you can't become convinced. And the question is, what what's going on? It's um, is somebody actually showing you something? Is there something to this? So is this the way reality operates? You know, that's, that's not in our unified field theory. But if we if we seek it, maybe we can get answers like this where they just appear magically. Timing and meaning uh, that helps us with answers. I wish I had can do this with the stock market, of course, but it doesn't <laughs> seem to work that way. Right. Yeah, some people do, though. You know, it's like the story. I put it, a little story in my book and I forget where I got it from. But I heard this person talking again. It's, it's a personal account. So be careful of face value. But he says he was he, he was had such an urge to contact a particular researcher who wrote a book and he wanted to in, incorporate his ideas about the book in his thesis for school for his phd he decided not to do it and regretted it shortly thereafter he said he went on a vacation with his wife in a remote island in the south pacific i forget the name one of those pogo pogo places uh he's in he's in the uh, hotel and he writes his name in the book they check in while he's writing his name in the book however he he notes the name of that professor who he had wanted to communicate with. Uh, he thought really nothing of it, just a coincidence. Well, lo and behold, he, as he explains, he sees a man who looked like the professor. He had seen his picture, apparently. He looks like it, and he was so stunned that he introduced himself and asked him that question. Are you professor, uh, I forget his name, Hutchins, was it, uh, who taught at XYZ? And he said, well, yes. Now, they sat down and discussed the issue at hand at length to his more than his satisfaction is that that's not only timing but obviously meaning uh there are things like this happen uh it, it could that just be a random na- act of nature of course but when they happen repeatedly uh, to a, a person to the point where they actually rely on it you know wow Wow. And then you can, again, anecdotal information, but but you also alluded to, Brent, you did this too about, about the brain. We're kind of touching upon that. And, it, you know, it makes sense to do so because there is evidence uh, that the brain does respond a little differently when some people are remote viewing. Like uh, I think you mentioned the Stanford Research Institute and how Putoff, uh, there was research that was, was funded by the CIA and they do see that the, the temporal cortex, the side, of your, the side of your brain is actually a little bit more active during the process of re- remote viewing, viewing. But it's not necessarily proving anything that this is the, this is the spot where, where funky stuff happens, where we can, <clears throat> where we can uh, manage space and time, uh, not be impeded by these kind of barriers and access information from beyond, from the Soviet Union during the Cold War, from, from elsewhere to our benefit. Well, you know, very few can do it very well. One of them, of course, is Ingo Swan. Uh, everybody's heard of that name and, and McGonagall. There were oh, yeah. a few others. But Ingo Swan seemed to have that special ability. We regarded the best of the best. You know, what's interesting is that uh, he showed a, a, a high incidence of, of an, a very unusual 7 hertz EEG spike 
It was a 7 hertz EEG spike in slow wave activity over the occipital lobe, right behind the brain, obviously involved in visual processing, among other things, but mainly visual, remote viewing, interesting, huh? 7 hertz. Remember I mentioned it earlier? 7 hertz, a Schumann resonance. The similarity, obviously, similarity, it's an exact identical duplication of uh, EEG activity within the theta wave frequency band of the wave the the theta wave and we all experience it when we meditate or while we're sleeping and transitioning into that deep uh feeling of hey man i'm going to be going to sleep soon right uh that that's theta and you're about seven ish hertz in in that vicinity and you kind of like to try to duplicate that while in meditation and for many it takes about depends on the technique about 10 to 20 minutes to get there and it takes some training you know, to get there, but not asleep. Don't fall asleep. You know what I mean. Hang out there. But here again, you're suppressing the left hemisphere, allowing the right hemisphere to flourish. And, and we do see evidence of right uh, enhanced right hemispheric activity during transcendental medication, as well as a, a richer white matter and a higher, higher density myelinization of the brain in those who meditate. There's something there. I'm not exactly sure what, but why so mr swan shows it uh, select cases show it we see evidence of esp it, it, it clear evidence of esp in so many experiments windsor windbridge institute and dr julie bichelle uh, published numerous experiments so quadruple blinded experiments documenting quite convincingly i thought uh, 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 that mediums can very successfully uh, obtain information from individuals that were so well controlled that is they deemed it impossible for them to acquire the kind of knowledge that they were able to share to give the person the 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 person who held that information uh, here again what does that mean is 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 a, a someone who goes into a trance or the different ways to do it a physical medium a mental medium there's different types of ways they access so to speak this information field and what do we call it uh, the akashic records maybe the black hole where all information exists apparently according to some astrophysicists like dr rudy shield that uh, Russ, uh, brent mentioned earlier um so they're showing the ability to either read the person's mind who has obviously that information and desires additional proof that the person in question is alive and can exchange information um, to prove that the person is still existing in some reality. Well, they have provided that convincing proof to people uh, trying to uh, obtain information or to test whether or not these sitters can actually accurately identify information. They do so on 80, 90% of the time. Uh, that to me that's convincing. Dean Radin, of course, we can go on and on about the kinds of of ways in which people can ma physically manipulate um, structure, physical matter using their mind and, and intention. These effects are incredibly subtle, but they are statistically relevant to the extent where it is more than convincing. But yet science doesn't acknowledge it or accept it yet. It should be accepted because of its uh, the nature of the experiment and the controls that are implemented by the experimenters. Uh, so 
it is debatable. It's certainly a source of debate. But combine all of this, and, and I'm try, I try to in my book, what does this all mean? Brent alluded to it, connecting the dots. What does this all mean? Uh, and here again, we can only speculate. Other than the thing I can say with absolute certainty, there's something something a lot more than we know right now. What a cop out that is. We all know that. <laughs> we all know that, right? But but okay. That's the one start. thing we. That's the one thing we know for sure. Yeah, but it's kind of cool knowing it, playing around with it, and trying to right, what, yeah. fine tune it. Yeah, you know, are we? Did we make progress in sixty years with nuts and bolts and the UFOs? Not, not really. <laughs> you know, when Senator Rubio is asking for hey answers to to what's flying in our skies, maybe posing a a, a threat to aviation industry. Uh, if it's extraterrestrial, let's know about it. You know, give us the capital D. We see the small D. We see it leaked out in varying ways with ATIP and Senator Reid and here and there and the other things. Stan Walker, it's, it's leaking out, but but uh, everybody's waiting for the capital D. But but us, we know the capital D you know we we don't have to be told right. it's the general public that that needs it on on breaking news at six o'clock so it's it's still interesting what's going on with ATEP and DeLong and we can we can milk that it's it's worthy of some but little discussion because it's just noise and they're using the system for monetary means but there could be some elements of truth there i don't know what the meta meta materials is all about maybe maybe there's something there let's wait and see but why the speculation the secrecy uh, and as if there's a purpose or a, or a secondary gain associated with it like a hidden agenda as we all suspect by some unacknowledged access group for whatever reason to control uh, how society uh, interprets views discusses the, the, the phenomena they know the phenomena exists they don't have the answers as far as i can i'm concerned they don't have the answers so they don't want to disclose because why the public's going to be banging on their doors what the f is going on here man and they don't have answers so what are they going to say well um, these beings do exist. They've always been here. They gave us the Ten Commandments. They, they make right angles in stone <laughs> stone walls. Uh, you know, 112,000 years ago. Yeah, they did all this shit. I, you know, you know, they don't want to do that. They, they speculate. They don't know. And if they did know that, if that was the truth, right? This four billion year old planet probably went through a lot of lot of civilizations, intelligences, and dinosaur periods, right? The whole the whole shebang is what twelve point eight billion. We're newbies on the block. But maybe, just maybe, and why not? There is this other intelligence that thrives it's so advanced and of course so different um, everybody's not carbon based like us of course so similar in some ways and different in most ways but how, how how they're so advanced and different how can they communicate with us successfully uh, they they make themselves look like idiots half the time as they're trying to tell us you know hey here we are and why the heck do they get sperm and ovum from us. Why don't they just go to a sperm bank or any fertility clinic and they could open a drawer and I'm right. sure they have the ability to, <laughs> to take whatever the heck they want, you know? Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, I don't get it. Yeah, they should be done by now. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, gentlemen, I think I think that that's a good place. I think that that's a good place to end to leave it. I did just want to give Robert a chance though to uh to uh, promote some of his uh, books, including his latest, this uh, Unseen Forces, which is a lot of the things we've been talking about uh, today deals with. 
Yeah, I, I more or less been paraphrasing some of the information, trying to basically make sense of it all. It's it's similar to Brent's book, where it presents some of this evidence that we're touching upon uh, uh, from different areas of of the phenomena, and and um, and and that's the essence of it. And what does it mean? And not that we have the answers, but essentially. Uh, it involves some aspect of consciousness, maybe interdimensional activity, and and does science answer some of these questions? Are we touching upon it? Uh, where do we need to go in, in terms of the best kind of research to apply uh, to better understand the underlying essence of the phenomena? And it does exist with the individual experiencer, the essence of their experience. We need to better understand that. And Free's trying to get at that, and we see John Hopkins and other uh, researchers in academia doing so as well. And they to be commended, but we need to go further in that direction. The essence, the non-physical nature of this unique phenomena. And thank you for uh, the opportunity to talk about my book, Unseen Forces, Integration of Science, Reality, and You. And I do hope um, some of you enjoy it. Uh, I, I make much less than a cup of coffee. It's not for me. It's more hopefully for you to think. Oh, right, right. Go to it, man. Stay safe, everybody. Absolutely. Robert, what is your, uh, what's your website and what is your, uh, where can people get the books? Available like uh, Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, okay. Amazon uh, for, from the website BobDavisSpeaks.com. Okay. And and uh, my other books too, Life After Death, an analysis of the evidence, and my first book, The UFO Phenomenon, Should I Believe. Whatever turn right. you on. All right. And Brent, uh, where can people find Visitors from Hidden Realms and your other books and uh, okay, uh, alternate perceptions? They're all on, on Amazon and uh, – you know, the uh, alternate perceptions is on the uh, APmagazine.info, and we have a new issue at the first of each month. Um, and uh, then we archive, you know, what was there previously. And so uh, you can read the current issue by going to that website, or you can go back and uh, at the top of the, the page, there's links to check previous issues. So hopefully nothing gets lost in, in the shuffle. <laughs> And also, Brent, we should mention you are going to be part of Strange Realities 2020. Yes, sir. Yes. On online Looking conference. Looking forward to that. Do you know I, what you'll probably be speaking about? Uh, well, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, I guess. I kind of like what we've been talking about today. And, of course, John Keel, Jacques Vallée, and all the good stuff, the high strangeness and the crossover phenomenon and things that we're still scratching our head over. I don't have the answers. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought we provided the answers the past two hours here. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were talking nothing but fact. You with me? You with me, everybody? <laughs> All right, gentlemen. All right. Thank you so awesome. much. Everyone. Thank okay. you. Hold, hold on Thanks the line for us. We're going to close this section out, and guys, we'll be right back to close out the show, as usual, on Conspiracy Normal. Welcome back to Conspiracy Normal, guys. That was a uh, long but informative interview with uh, Robert Davis and Brent Rains. Two very, very deep minds uh, with all of, uh, with Brent Rains' long experience uh, studying this stuff and his connections to uh, a lot of people in the field, and then with um, Robert's background in in neuroscience and his involvement in the free study. 
uh, there's just a, a lot of material about the nature of consciousness, the nature of experience, non-human entities, psychedelics, uh, kind of, you know, around the whole gamut. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's a uh, very cool to have somebody on that's, uh, I guess, that's a, that's an academic. I always enjoy that, and to see that, like, the acceptance that that is that this is having in some people in the academic community is really cool to me as well. And, oh yeah. Uh, Brent, uh, Brent is always a wealth of information. Like he knows what he's, he definitely knows what he's talking about and he'll be joining us. Uh, like I said, at uh, strange realities, 2020, our little online conference that we're doing this year and which right now the tickets are at $20 now. And I want to thank the people that have already bought tickets and the people that have bought tickets since the time between recording this and posting this, which is almost two weeks. So thank you guys. Uh, we've got a great lineup for, for you on uh, the weekend of September 25th, 26th, and 27th. And uh, there's also Patreon. Serfiel can tell you what we got on there. You can go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal to see uh, all of last year's presentations from Strange Realities 2019. Uh, we will be broadcasting that for everybody soon, but uh, you've got uh, you've got an advanced way to see that uh, for now. Uh, we also do something uh, about uh, every week. We were doing a some extra audio content every week, but we have been substituting that with some of these presentations. So we'll be getting back into that uh, for as little as a dollar. You get access to all that. And if you don't feel comfortable with a subscription, you can give a one-time donation at conspiranormal.com. Absolutely. Absolutely guys. Well, I want to thank you all for listening and uh, we will be back next time with some more interesting, crazy stuff on Conspiranormal.com. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.